Well, good evening, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. Honestly, it is really good. Are you happy to be here? Are we happy to be here to be fellowshipping? Um, we have a very unique service or a fellowship tonight with you. Um, and to those at home, hello, good to see you. Tonight's topic of conversation is what? Coronavirus. It seems like no matter where you go, people are asking questions. They have questions. They have concerns. And we're here tonight to shed some light on the topic of coronavirus. But specifically, we're going to be looking at coronavirus from a biblical worldview. How can I think through this um, specific topic biblically? But we'll be looking at four different viewpoints. Viewpoint number one will be this. How can I think about coronavirus or think through coronavirus from a medical perspective, a governmental perspective, a working or economic perspective, but also a shepherding perspective. So those are the different areas of conversation that we'll have tonight. So let's pray and let's begin our time together. Lord, thank you so much um, for your word, for guiding us through unique circumstances in life. Thank you that you've given us the word of truth, the scriptures, Lord, to guide us. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to lead us in truth. And I do, Lord, specifically pray right now for the, the woman to my left, Lord, um, as she's encountering some health problems, Lord, that you would be with her, guide her, protect her, strengthen her. And I also pray for our conversation tonight, Lord, that would be edifying to all those here in this room and to those watching at home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as you see, we have a three-panel or three-person panel tonight, and we'll start with Paul. If you, if you don't know Paul, Paul is a physician's assistant at Florida Memorial, Memorial Hospital, and he serves in the emergency room. And Saul, Paul has been serving for about 10 years, 10 years yeah. in, uh, as a physician's assistant, and he's also a recent pastor here at Riverbank Community Church. And we also have Pastor Jason Carr, who's also the headmaster at Riverbend Academy. And then we also have uh, Pastor Brian Shealy. He's the executive pastor here at Riverbend Community Church. And he's also the dean at Christ Theological Seminary. Okay, so you guys ready? Well, let's get started. Um, one of the things that we encounter a lot, and I'm sure many of you at home and many in this room encounter a lot, is fear. There are a lot of people out there who are fearful. Um, they're afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of getting other people sick. They're afraid of not wearing a mask. They're afraid of wearing a mask. And a lot of this fear is driving people's lives on how they operate from the day-to-day -day perspective. And so as we get started, Paul, I was hoping from a medical perspective that you could share some facts with us medically about coronavirus at a federal level, um, a state level, but also at a local level. Um, help us to get a, a clearer picture of what's really going on across the country and here locally. Yeah, you know, the, I think the first thing that I would say is, I know the elders, me specifically, but all the elders, when we've talked, um, we take this seriously. This is a real thing, right? This is a real virus. Um, this isn't just an, a, a different type of flu. The way it, it hits the body is a little bit different. The way um, it acts is a little bit different. Um, and sometimes when we talk about comparing to flu, we'll talk about how, what we, how it affects a people group. You know, how many people, how many fatalities, how many people are getting sick. So there's, there's the difference between, I don't think it's a flu. It's definitely a different thing. I've seen it. I've diagnosed it several times, uh, many, many times, more than I want to. And so I've seen what it can do. But I think, so at a federal, I think right now in the country, we're at about 1.6 million cases. Uh, nationwide, I think um, out of that, I think we're about to hit our 100,000 mark as far as how many deaths we've had nationwide. And that's sad. It is. Um, in Florida, we have about 52,000 cases uh, with about 2,300 deaths. Um, now, what I want to say there is what we have to understand about deaths and, and cases, don't just look at the regular numbers. Because remember, these numbers are going all the way back to March and, and before when we first saw this happening. What we really want to see, what we look for in medicine, is where we are on the curve. We know that there is a sharp rise, you get to a peak, which we think we probably hit about mid-April, and then there is a tail. And we definitely think that we're in the tail end of this. So what matters more is how many cases, new cases we're having on a daily basis, 
And even more than just that strict number, what we're looking for is the percentage of cases. Mm -hmm. And that has been what's been on a sharp decline, especially in Florida. And in Volusia County, we've not really had tons of cases. So even in Volusia County, we've always had kind of a small um, uh, decrease in the amount of percentages. So in Florida, I think we started somewhere around 13% of the people mm -hmm. we tested became positive. Where now, we're around three. And we've hit, uh, we're, we're hitting a decrease. Um, if you follow uh, Governor DeSantis on his uh, Twitter, you'll see he posts a graph almost every day about how we're decreasing in the amount of cases. And he does it over time. And that's really what we're looking for. Over time, how has it decreased? And uh, in Volusia County, we've had, um, let, me, let me look here. It's somewhere around 680 cases. Um, and again, that's total. Of those 680 cases, so in a, in a county that's 550,000 people, it's only affected really like nine, it's affected 0.12%. So 99.88% of the county has not tested positive here. We've tested about 4% of the county. Um, and I think when we've tested those 4%, only about 3.2% have been positive. We, um, am I going too fast? Good, okay. I have, there's so much in my head I can just keep going. Um, of those, only 137, so really only about 20% of those people who were positive for coronavirus actually had to stay in the hospital. Mm. And what you need to know about those 137, there is a slight inflation because Governor DeSantis, I think, made the correct call in, in any time somebody from a long-term care facility was symptomatic and needed, they stayed in the hospital, whether or not they really needed hospital-level care or not. And when we say in the hospital, most of the time, they were just in a bed, some oxygen support through the nasal cannula, and um, they were getting uh, medications and you know, support like that being observed. It's not what you think of just intubated in ICU and all of those machines and whatnot. That was rare. We've only had 37 deaths. And of those 37 deaths, again, the important part, now every death, believe me, everyone's an image bearer of God. You will, you will hear that from me constantly. Death is a thing I deal with every day. But what I'll say about those 37 deaths is there's only been, I believe, 12 in the month of May. Every other day, okay, we've been on a sharp, we had 25 at the beginning of May, and we've had a decline. So you're not having people die every day now. We're, we're significantly less. We are definitely on the tail end uh, where, where even though every death is sad and, and um, something to grieve, it's not occurring. This is not New York. Yeah. And that, I think, is the biggest thing. We have treated this virus as, as what I would call monolithic, meaning they think it's the same everywhere. We're not, we're not New York. We're not L.A. We're not even Miami. We're Volusia County, and it's different. They have a heat map. If you look on the Florida site, you just go to the Florida Health site, and the Department of Health, that dashboard, they have something where you can see what we call a heat map, and a heat map shows red, yellow, blue, how, how the country's being affected, and you can see we're much different. Another percentage, and thank you for all that, I think that was helpful for everybody, just the percentages, and helping us overcome fear with facts. Yeah. And I think that's the goal of you sharing some of that information with us, but one of the terms that I hear a lot, number one is, what is the amount of people infected, the population and deaths? We always hear those numbers. But another number that I constantly hear is recovery rate. Yes. And when I hear recovery rate of 99.8, 99.9, it causes me to pause. I'm like, wow, that number, is that too high to be true? Um, and I, I want to get you guys here in a second, but can you talk to us a little bit about recovery rate? Is that a real number? So, um, yeah, when you, if you go on to actually the CDC website, they published a tool, I believe, last Wednesday or Thursday that everybody can have. And you go to the CDC and they'll talk to you about what they use now as a predictive tool for the future. And what they're saying is if you take, remember, the whole entire graph, so starting here and going and then even the rest of the tail, we're, we're in the tail but we're not done. By the time they're done with this, they feel that our death rate will be 0.4%. Uh, so, so four-tenths of a percent, so 99.6% of everyone who has symptomatic coronavirus, so that you show symptoms, you have cough, you have fever, you have uh, shortness of breath, you know, all of those things, they will recover. So 99.6%. When you actually add in the asymptomatic cases, which again, they produce as 35%, 
Okay, so you do some math, and what you'll come up with is kind of a, it's about a 0.24. So 99.76, I believe if my math is right, a people will recover from this virus. So one of the things that our family does, and I'm sure many at home do the same thing, is when I'm having these conversations with other people, I try not to get too lost in the details, but try to remember a macro view. Look at this a little bit higher. And based on some of the numbers that you've shared with us, and I have some of them down as well, that across the U.S., 0.5% of the population has been infected. 0.5%. Yeah. We have 330 right? million. And we have 330 million. Yeah. Of that, 0.3% of the population has passed away, like you said, unfortunately. But here in Florida, 0.2% of the population has been infected. And here in Florida, 0.01% of the population has actually passed away from coronavirus. And also, we're on the decline, as you said. But and when another number that I constantly walk through is that recovery rate. Yeah. So if the small likelihood of me getting infected, if I do get it, my recovery rate is 99.6%. Right. And I think those are helpful numbers to know and to be aware of. Um, Pastor Jason, Pastor Brian, um, did you want to add any commentary to that or how we should process those figures? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the numbers... One thought is the numbers are sobering. You hear 100,000 deaths. We grieve with those who grieve. Like, like Pastor Paul said, every death matters. Um, and then on the other side, the early estimates were so much higher um, that this is encouraging. And then also, at some point, I hope public policymakers and, and then just us as citizens thinking through things or evaluate what have we done in light of those high estimates? How can we, how can we, how can we do better to target response? To try to, to do what we can reasonably do to mitigate, lower those deaths, lower the strain on medical services. But we've had, we've, what we've done on those big numbers, in light of those big numbers, early estimates, has caused other problems. We're going to get to that, I know, in some yeah. of this. But th so those are two, two thoughts at the same time. I think I would just say, just add the simple thing that you know, we're going to be talking about people, should they come or not? Yeah. And I think it's incumbent upon each person to really try to get the facts. Mm -hmm. Make sure that, that you know yourself what are the risks mm -hmm. involved in me coming to church or going to different places. Mm -hmm. And I, I think... Governor DeSantis has done a great job of saying, mm -hmm. uh, you know, facts over fear. Mm. Uh, and as, as believers, um, we're not to fear. Mm. And uh, the thing that helps you more really is, is obviously knowledge of God, knowledge of the Word of God, but also knowledge of the situation and the circumstances itself. Yeah. And that was my next question, and I think we're leading right into that, is if I am a person in Volusia County and I'm considering coming to Riverbend Community Church this upcoming Sunday, and I'm wrestling with decision, should I or shouldn't I? Yeah. What are some of the things, we said some of it already, but what are some of the things that I should think through, the facts, anything else I should think through, Paul? I mean, I, I think you should think of the, not only the facts of, of that while in the beginning we, we, we shut down because we didn't know. This is a new virus. This is something we've never dealt with before, so we just didn't know. So. In light of that, that's why we at first shut down. But now that we know more about it, that, that fear can be taken away because we have knowledge. And that knowledge leads us to, to being able to fight it appropriately or treat it appropriately. And that's what I think we've done. We social distance. We, we're washing our hands. We have hand sanitizers. We have all these things um, that we're doing. We're cleaning, deep cleaning all the time. You come in here and you smell the, the, the Lysol smell and all that because we are doing these things. And so I think this is a, a safe environment. This is, you know, nothing is ever going to be 100% completely, you'll never get anything. If you're looking for that, that's heaven. <laughs> okay? But while we're waiting to get to heaven, I think this is a very safe place. And this is, you know, what the term people use today, reasonably safe to be here. But well, I think I would make, make sure, you know, from a perspective of a person, especially somebody who falls in the categories of the more vulnerable, mm. that they would make sure, number one, talk to your doctor. Mm. 
Mm. You know, mm. we don't want to be your doctor. You know, we don't want to be the ones that, you know, say, oh, Pastor Brian said I really should be there. You know, we, I, I don't want that burden, okay? Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, talk to your doctor. What is your health situation? What are your immune deficiencies if you have those? Uh, uh, and then, you know, arm yourself with the, the facts, uh, understand you know, what the environment is. Our environment that we've set up does allow for social distancing. Um, as we get more and more people in the building, it's less and less likely that you're going to always have six feet between you and somebody else. But I think there's, there's a personal responsibility, which we're going to talk about a little bit too in the quarantining. But it's, it's not just you know, each person. If you need that social distancing and you're going to come, then you're going to have some personal responsibility to try to make sure that happens. So, but even if you went to a restaurant, you know, they might have tables set up six feet apart, but it'd be very easy for you to pass between somebody and come within two feet or a bumping even. So, so in a short summary, and those are all really good points, but in summary, this is what I've heard, and thank you for explaining it. If I'm thinking about coming to Riverbank Community Church, think through the facts. We share some of those this evening. Think about, is it a safe environment? I think we're doing a good job there. Number three is, it's not going to be eradicated. So we do not live in a perfect world. There's something called sin. Remember Genesis? <laughs> it's there. And so as long as this side of heaven, we're going to be dealing with disease and those things and so forth. But also, if you are someone who is vulnerable, mm -hmm. like you said, be sure to talk to your doctor. That is a reasonable, we're not physicians, we're pastors, we know scripture, we talk through scripture, but we're not all doctors. So it would be very pertinent to talk to your doctor. Yes, Pastor Just one, one other thing on the medical side that would uh, be good if Paul addressed. You know, people have throughout this whole thing said, uh, you know, how does this compare to the flu and, and you know, how, what, what is my percentage of risk in getting other diseases when you come to church? Yeah, so when you look at flu, um, so we talked about before, when you, the CDC estimate, estimates that we're going to have around a 0.24, um, you know, mortality rate, and that's a total, um, what we talk about, total infection fatality rate. What you see uh, when you say your numbers don't match up with what's on my board, you know, board or what they're reporting, what they report is case. And what a case is is somebody who is, um, they're sick enough to go to the hospital and they become a case, right? They become someone who's visiting the hospital and, and we go from there. A total infection includes all the people who are not symptomatic and they don't go to the hospital, but they still have the virus. That happens all the time. That just happened to us the other day. Somebody came in because um, uh, they had fallen and they broke their hip and we went to do the surgery. We test them for Corona because it's policy and then they just had it. You know, so they, they're asymptomatic. That didn't cause them to break their hip. That's not what's there. So it's a different, it's a different number. When you look at the infection fatality rate, so you include asymptomatic, you include everything, 0.24 is what the CDC is thinking now. For the flu, it's anywhere from 0.1 to 0.18. Okay, so you see, is it worse than the flu? Yes. Is it that much worse than the flu? What, the, more we, the more we are discovering about it, it's not, it, while it's significant statistically, it's not significantly practically, right? Instead of a 0.18, you have a 0.24, so that's a 0.06, right, <laughs> type difference. So, and remember with the flu, we have two drugs. We have uh, one that came out earlier this year, we've always had Tamiflu, and we have a vaccine. So um, some people have even said, and not me, but experts have even talked about how this would be comparable to what we would have with a flu without a vaccine and without the antivirals that we have for the flu. So it would be very similar. So infectious rate is comparable to other things that we've seen. Right. Okay, so topic number one so far, fear, overcoming those fears, that was good. But another common topic of conversation, and many of you probably had this conversation with other people, is a topic of quarantining. Mm. Um, and so specifically, Pastor Brian, I was hoping that you could help us maybe gain a better biblical perspective on mm. quarantine. Um, how should we think through the idea of quarantine? Um, does the Bible address this subject? Um, and if the Bible does address this subject, how does it apply to us today? That's a good question. The, you know, God, God's not taken by surprise about anything. You know? And it's amazing how many things that are directly applicable to this situation are covered pretty well in the Bible. 
one of those is the idea of quarantine. And so I really commend our country, those who have uh, put into effect some type of quarantine. Uh, if you just uh, think about a few verses, for instance, if you look at some of those places where we're not usually uh, as excited in our quiet times, like Leviticus and some certain parts of Numbers, um, it, it, it all is the holy word of God, right? And he has a purpose for it. But just listen to, like Leviticus 13.5 says, And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if in his eyes the disease is checked, and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. Uh, there's many examples, particularly with leprosy uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, I'll just read verse 3. It says, You shall put both male and female outside the camp, that they might not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. Um, even There's even a, a type of, uh, not just quarantine, but social distancing in the scriptures. Uh, Leviticus chapter 13, 45, 46, talks about what a, a leprous person should do. They should... You know, kind of show that they have leprosy by tearing their clothes and uh, letting their hair kind of be hanging loose and covering their upper lip. I don't think we, we talked about that earlier. It wasn't uh, wearing a mask. Uh, it, was, it was the idea of, uh, of a mourning. It was a sign of mourning that they were supposed to kind of show that they were going through something like that. And uh, it said, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So you have a lot of these uh, examples, and, but it's, it's interesting that it's not just the responsibility of the community to put them in a certain place that have the disease, but it's responsibility of the individual. And you've probably heard some self-quarantining as well. Uh, some people, people that were coming down from New York City were asked to quarantine themselves for 14 days if they came to the state and things like that. So, so it's just neat to see that there is a biblical precedent for this. The biblical precedent is if you're sick, quarantine yourself, and it's your individual responsibility. That's well said. Um, Pastor Jason, did you want to add anything to that? Um, no, well said. Yeah, no, well said. I, I agree. With that. Well said, Paul. Okay, and um, another common question. So we talked about quarantine. We talked about overcoming fear with facts. But also another thing that we talk about a lot or questions that I hear, and probably many of you in this room have heard, is we're dishonoring the government by going back to church. Um, has anyone heard that? Or whispers of that? Okay, only me. Okay, well, that question's out there, and maybe they're more inclined to ask me opposed to you. Um, but There's in, certainly ch uh, churches in certain states that aren't even allowed to meet, you know. And, yeah. So, you know. so I'll get a text message here or there that says, you know, Romans 13 tells us that we are supposed to be subject to our authorities and honor our authorities. And so in terms of us going back to church, opening the doors, um, how do we respond to this criticism that perhaps we are dishonoring the government by having worship services here at church? Um, Pastor Jason, maybe you can jump in on that one. Um, <clears throat> we're not violating Romans 13. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll elaborate a little bit too. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and part of it is, you know, we should view everything biblically um, as Christians and that that different worldview has has an effect so a secular worldview doesn't have the higher authority we have um, so as Christians you know Philippians 320 our citizenship is in heaven um, Acts 5 when when the apostles were told stop preaching in this name the name of Jesus they said is it better for us to obey you or obey God? And, and the point of that was we have to obey God even above you. They weren't denying the, the authority of that, those governing authorities in their lives. They were just saying there's a higher authority. Um, and so for us as Christians, we, we have that, that context. And even in Romans 13 where it says obey the governing authorities, the, the Greek word for authority carries the idea of a delegated authority. The legitimacy of human government's authority is that God gave that authority. Um, Christ, when Christ was before Pontius Pilate, he indicates that. He says, you, you, God gave you this authority. Pilate had the authority to crucify Christ. It was still a sin to crucify a sinless man, but he had the authority to make the decision, and Christ was telling, recognizing that and letting him know it came from 
from God. Um, and so, you know, here in Romans 13, we're, we're to honor our government, we're to obey our government as part of honoring the higher authority uh, of the Lord. I won't read the whole passage, but just the first couple of verses there. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. That's a serious, that's a serious admonition there that we are to take governing authority seriously, we're to honor them, and we're to obey them. Um, are, there, are there any limits to that? Um, so the limits will be what we're just saying. There is a higher authority, God. So if there's a, if the, if the governing, the human government authorities were to tell us to disobey God, we have to obey God. Um, if the governing authority is trying to control worship of God or take the worship in place of God, we're not to do that. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for instance, or Daniel, uh, uh, you know, controlling worship, for instance. Um, and then if the government should break its own law, that's problematic. And specifically for us in America, we, we're in a country where law is king. So, so the highest human governing authority in our country is not a human being. It's the Constitution of the United States of America. And then underneath that in the state of Florida, it's the Constitution of the state of Florida. We have written law that rules for us. And I brought my pocket Constitution. If you don't have one, you know, these are all over the place for free. But the First Amendment, and I'm going to read it because it applies to this question. Should we come back to church? Should we gather? So Amendment 1 says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So you have both generally the freedom of assembly and you have specifically the free exercise of pocket, in the pocket, um, free exercise of, of religion. Um, so that leads to God tells us obey your governing authorities and to honor them. So even with recommendations, there's an honoring. We really need to consider any recommendations as well as obey any laws passed. Um, but balanced with that is the importance of assembling. Specifically, as the church, and, and I would argue even biblically, from a biblical worldview, just in general as human beings. You know, we're created in the image of God. God is a triune being. One in essence, three in person. There's fellowship within the Godhead. Um, and exampled, you know, and then the, the first human beings were a husband and a wife. You have community, immediately you have community. Um, and then specifically the church, we're, we're told to assemble together. It's exampled in Acts 2, right as the church starts, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, and that listing was also the breaking of bread, which I think does reference the Lord's Supper, but also they would, they would have literal suppers as well as the, the, the specific act of remembering Christ's uh, death and you know, death and resurrection his body and blood in, in those elements. Um, and then Hebrews 10, this will be another passage I'll read, and I'll try to wrap up here in a second. Um, you know you're getting a long answer when he pulls out the Constitution <laughs> out of the pocket there. We, we, we still got to uh, get into all the conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, um, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're not to neglect. So, so balancing with honor authorities is God wants what should be normal for Christians is to gather in their local assemblies to fulfill the one another's, to... Now, I don't think we forsook it in the decision to not meet in person for a while. 
we were balancing all of this. And with the figures we had and the information we had and the recommendations given, we thought the best way to help serve our neighbor and minimize the risks of this, of this new, largely unknown virus was to not meet for a while. Um, but now we're balancing back, but we need to meet. We need to gather. And we're still, we're stair-stepping it. There's a lot more spacing than we used to have. There's, mm. there's extra cleaning. There's precautions being taken. Um, those who are at risk, as mentioned earlier, should not feel in any way manipulated, guilted, or to, to come if, you're, if it's not right for you. Consult your doctor. Consider your situation. Mm. Um, but as a congregation, we want to get, get back to that. So I could say more, but I need to go other speak. And, that was yeah. great. Thank you so much. I think we're all we're looking for things like that. So f- oh, one, one, other th- oh, oh. one other thought. Okay. We're not, we're not in a situation of choosing, though, between the higher authority of God and our governing authorities. Everything we're doing is within our governing authorities and their recommendations. The Governor DeSantis's phase in for Florida, we're right in line with that in percentages and, and steps we're taking and what we're doing. Right. Uh, so praise the Lord, we're not forced to make that decision. Mm. But yeah. we should be thinking always of, it, the situation's forcing us to think through things biblically because someday maybe we do face decisions right. like that. Yeah. So as many of you know, we do have three levels of government or maybe more if you really break it down. We have the federal level. And based on what we've done so far, we're honoring the government at the federal level. At the state level, for the longest time now, churches have been considered essential. And so we're honoring the state government as well. But also in a lot of our services, we've been in communication with our local municipalities, the city of Ormond Beach, and showing honor to them. So every step along the way, we're obeying the ultimate authority, which is God, but showing honor to our local authorities as well. And I think that's just important information for all of us to know as we engage the community. And because some people might not be as informed as perhaps you are. And so you might have opportunities to walk them through this, our position from a biblical worldview and help them understand the importance of obeying the ultimate authority, but how locally we're walking with our local authorities as well. Um, Pastor Brian, did you want to add anything to that? I, I don't know. I think you might have covered all the bases. <laughs> yeah, he did. Okay. Well, okay, well, let's go to our next question, too, is one of the things that I hear a lot, um, not a lot, but you would hear this here and there, is that sometimes some some people might make the argument that it is unloving for us to not, it is unloving for us to go out in public. It is unloving if we do not stay at home. Um, Somehow that is a bad thing if we engage in fellowship or it's just a a bad thing to do. It's not loving. So how do you respond to that line of thinking? Has anyone here heard that before? It's unloving to go out. I'm getting a few head nods, a few hand raises in the back. So help us to talk through that. So if someone says, Paul, you're an unloving person because you're going to Publix, you're going to church, what do you say? Well, how do you think biblically? I mean, I think the first thing that we have to establish is definitions. Um, if the world is coming to me and telling me I'm unloving, I'm going to look at them and say, well, what's love? because you don't have a definition that, that conforms to what the, the Bible tells us is true love. And anything that is going to restrict me beyond reason of giving the gospel or, or ministering to people um, or obeying the first and second commandment of, of worshiping God and, and loving others by giving them the gospel, by making disciples, by growing them, I would counter that that's unloving. Mm. Now, now, obviously when you take the data, and, and I'm building from you know, the first and second questions that were asked of me, when you take the data and you go, okay, with the amount of infection that actually is in our state and the amount of risk that is actually in our county, what I would say then is, no, what's unloving is for us to not be doing what God has told us to do because God's the one that has always given us the definition of love, and we can never give that up as the church because he is the definition of love. I love what you just said. I think that's the first time I've heard it. It is unloving to restrict my ability to share the gospel because everyone needs to hear the gospel. Amen? And so if you're restricting me to share the love of Christ with other people, that is an unloving act. That's well said. I appreciate that. Were you going to say something, Pastor Frank? Yeah, I was just going to say that I think this situation, as every, every circumstance in life, uh, affords the great opportunity to make tangible expressions of love. You know, obviously we've talked about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
because you know he's the one he does call us to worship he's he's made us a body and so we need to figure out ways that we practice the one another's we practice the love for one another i think as you care for the other people in the church uh, make we've seen lots of tangible expressions of the deacons ministering to people people in different be- uh, bible fellowship groups we've had uh, people that we've had a lot of people that moved just during this coronavirus and uh, people that have come out to help them uh, people sold houses bought houses uh, just tons of different things like that um, there's people that have been in the hospital for other things so so you have the body of Christ showing a lot of love there's been a lot of opportunity to show love to neighbors because other people are uh, at home and uh, in need of you know whatever you know things like toilet paper or uh, somebody going to the grocery store for somebody there's there's people who have self-quarantined because of their illnesses and uh, i think of several examples and people come and they drop groceries off of their their door and things like that so in the church in the body of christ there's been many tangible expressions of love i think in our dealing with our uh, authorities that we've shown love to them we've shown you know great deference and trust towards uh, President Trump and towards Governor DeSantis and even towards our local uh, council, you know, that uh, we communicated with. And uh, on top of that, you know, the quarantining is, is love because not only do we want to quarantine, but we want them to receive the medical attention that they um, so desperately need as well. We want to, we wish that we could be with somebody who is dying, it's very sad and tragic that people have died alone in this situation. And, um, but I, I just think about you know, the, the love of taking care of the most vulnerable. You know, we, we do want to show um, care for those that would have any kind of reservations. You know, if somebody can't come to church, you know, how can we minister to those people? If people are afraid because of their medical condition, how do we minister to them? And people that do come and they say they wear a mask, they want to practice social distancing. We should be aware. You know, maybe some of us are more comfortable, you know, being closer, but others we should be aware of those that uh, we can take care of them as they come. And so, you know, I just I could go on and on. I think there's there's many ways to show that love. So. And, and from really what I'm hearing from you, when you're confronted with that, it's unloving we go back to what love is, like you said, Paul, and then all the acts of love that we show by engaging our community. I think that's a good way to respond to that. And one of the things, Paul, too, maybe you can help us better understand this question is, there are a lot of consequences to staying at home, medically speaking. And I think the more that people are staying at home, the more they're learning of these consequences of um, compromising your immune system. Um, just for a general understanding, help us better understand what are some of perhaps the negative consequences of staying at home from a medical perspective. Yeah, you know, um, even, even in medicine, they recognize that we are, we're a whole person, both mind, body. They won't go spirit because they're materialists, but they'll say mind and body. And, and so many times we try to separate the mind and the body and we don't understand how the mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. And how that correlation and that connection can be seen clearly in this situation is um, what we hear of reports of in um, California where now they're actually having more reports of people committing suicide than they are having deaths from this disease in different parts, right? So don't think of it as monolithic, right? You gotta look at different counties and everyone has their own situation. And what they actually are are estimating, I've seen um, people trying to study this and estimate that, uh, what they call the deaths of despair. So people who are without jobs, who are afraid of what's going on, who already maybe had some um, pre-existing psychiatric or, you know, mental issues, they're dying because of um, suicide they're dying because of physical abuse. People who are in an abusive relationship, an abusive home, they've now been stuck with that abusive person for um, almost two months and the stress, more stress has been put on so that abusive person normally gets worse. Um, they're dying from um, alcoholism because they're, to, to get through this, they've been drinking their way through this. We've seen that. They're dying because of opioid and other drug overdoses. So what we're seeing is a rise in deaths of despair, and in some places that rise has actually eclipsed 
the amount of death. So as the deaths from this disease have been going down, there's now a rise in these deaths of despair due to the quarantining. The mind and the body, God created us as a whole person, mind, body, spirit. And when you, when you take one aspect, and we are supposed to be communal people, right? It's not good for man to be alone. We're supposed to be a body. We are a body. We, we talk about that, you know, um, that the church is a body. And when you take that away, it has an effect on you medically. And we're seeing that in physical numbers and um, in real ways, um, you know, in the country right now. And I think that's very important for all of us to know that, specifically the local church, as we're thinking through family members and friends and people in our community who perhaps have lost a job. Suicide rate goes up astronomically through losing a job or an abusive situation. So reaching out in love and checking in on those people, whether they're in the church, out of the church, or even an acquaintance who recently lost his job is engaging that person and maybe be prepared to listen. Um, because they're probably going to have a lot on their heart making yourself available. So I think as a church, we need to be prepared to have challenging conversations with people. With that, another number, um, the National Hotline, National Suicide Hotline um, at one point reported a 900% increase in number of calls to their center. Because 900. The, Is that locally or? National. The National Hotline Service. So they get the statistics of, of, of that. So they've seen in, in, uh, a 900% increase. 900%. Correct. Wow. Well, that's good for us to keep in mind. Yeah, Pastor Brian. That might be a good lead into just thinking about, you know, not, not only did God make us uh, social creatures, uh, and you spoke about that a little bit, um, you know, that, I think that's part of God's wonderful design for the church, that fellowship mm-hmm. is such a huge part of it. And there's so many one another's loving one another, being hospitable to one another and kind to one another, all those. But God also made us to work. You know, and probably one of the most deflating things that's happened through all of this was that most people were told that their work was non essential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just let that hit you for a minute, you know. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, God's told us uh, right from creation, Genesis one twenty eight, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth and 215 says the lord took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and to keep it a couple of new testament verses first timothy 5 8 but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever now you think about that for a minute and you know who's going to care for who's going to provide for uh, those who are quarantined and those who are vulnerable and those who uh, are out of work and those who are sick um, and who's going to provide for your family if you're not working you know so uh, i really do hope that our government and all the leaders of our country mm-hmm. rethink this in the way that they handled this because nobody's work is non-essential because they're to provide for their family you know that's something that god's called them to do uh, and then Ephesians 4.28 says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has a need. So we, we not only work for ourselves, but we work for others, so that we have something to share with others. But if you, if you don't work, you know, then nobody, you, you don't have anything to share either. Um, so... We could get into a lot of political uh, discussion, too, in relation to all that, but I'll stop there. (laughs) Yes, Um, and because a lot of people, too, um, their identity is in their work. And so if you take away someone's identity, you're impacting that person significantly. Um, And again, us being aware of that as a church is responding to that. And And it really gives you the opportunity to share with them that their best identity is your identity in Christ. So you may encounter a person who's lost their job and is like, oh, I'm no longer a plumber. Oh, you might not be a plumber for this week, but through faith in Christ, you can be identified as a son or a child of God, right? And so as negative as these consequences might be, there are also opportunities for us to be salt and light in this fallen world and to be aware of that and engaging the community that we live in. Um, Paul, another new development that's going to be happening this specific Sunday relates to child care. Yeah. Um, our nursery is going to be opened up this specific Sunday. 
I know that there's some young families in the room tonight, some young families watching at home. They're thinking about those little ones. They love those little guys, and maybe some of them are apprehensive. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what our church is doing to prepare for the nursery this upcoming week, perhaps some precautions that we're taking? Walk us through how a parent at home should think about bringing their kids to the nursery this week. I think the first thing you think of that, um, again, I would think that you're bringing there is safe. And, and some of the things that we're doing, when you walk into go to Kingdom Corner, how we're trying to get it set up, and we're trying to work with uh, Rachel with this, and you know she's on board, and just it's logistics, and it'll be practice. But you're going to walk in the door. You're going to come uh, to the, the checkout counter. One of the things that we're going to ask people to do if you, is um, before you come, check your children for fever. If they have a fever, hopefully you guys have a thermometer at home. Check them for fever and come. And we're going to ask you a simple question. We're going to say, is your child, we'll have a list of symptoms, probably a, a laminated sheet, and then we'll say, has your child had a fever or displayed any of these symptoms? And it's a simple yes or no. Um, hopefully, if it's a yes, you would have kept them home. And that's the thing. When people say, well, why don't you just check everyone's temperature when they come here? My, our, our thinking here is that um, we don't want even the possibility of the virus to come in in that sense. So if they're not feeling well, keep them home. That's the point of the quarantine, as we talked before. I think that's a biblical guideline. And so um, now if you come in, you forgot, what do we do? Well, you're going to have, um, you know, basically one of two options at that point. The, the first option would be that we would have a thermometer, you know, a, a cordless, or not cordless, one that won't touch them and will take your temperature. It's not as accurate, but it is something that we can try and screen. If you don't want us to do that, then we still want you to be here. And, and that's fine, that's your choice. Uh, but we would ask then that you keep your child with you um, in the service. And then obviously we're cleaning surfaces, we're getting rid of, um, I, I think she's getting rid of any of the plush dolls that would, would have material that could harbor the virus in it. Um, I think we're even trying to uh, get a hold of, I don't know if we'll be able to get it this week because they're very difficult to get a hold of right now, but the UV lights, um, that this virus has been shown only a couple minutes and it kills it. So you put on a UV light for, I believe it's like 30 minutes, and the UV light basically kills any living organism, um, bacteria or virus that the light shines on. And they're very effective. We use them in the hospital whenever somebody um, actually had a, a, an infection. Uh, part of the cleaning process we would do at the end is we would use the UV light. Uh, it's shown very effective in these. So we're trying to get, we're trying to get a couple of those um, and, and so in, in, in total, and we, I think we're going above and beyond uh, to try and keep children safe. But what I, what I want you to see with that, it too, is um, not only, you know, we talked about before not thinking of this as monolithic in a geographical sense, but I also want you to think, not think of this as monolithic in, in an age, in a chronological sense. Children have been shown to be less susceptible to this. Even with any of the, of the known um, things, you know, uh, um, sicknesses that can come with it. Um, right now, assuming the, the, when you look on that CDC website, assuming that there's a, so we only have 150,000 deaths here uh, in, um, 100,000 deaths right now in America, assuming 150,000, so they're trying to assume what the total would be. They still think if your child is less than one year of one years old, so zero to one, um, you have a, uh, you are uh, 16 or actually 17 times more likely to die from seasonal flu or pneumonia than you would be from coronavirus. Okay, so the seasonal flu that comes every year, you would be uh, 17 times more apt to die from that um, than the corona. One to four years of age, 20 times. Okay, 20 times more apt to die. And we know that not a lot of kids are dying from the flu. Like, I don't want that number to scare you because not a lot of kids are dying from the flu. And then ages 5 to 14, so now we're well into youth ministry, um, you're seven times more likely to die from flu or a pneumonia than you are from a coronavirus. So it's safe. And, and so not only is it safe just from the number standpoint, I think it's safe as reasonably can be expected from everything that we're doing to help. Yeah. Um, and we're also, the, the last thing, sorry, um, we're also gonna try and limit the number of people in that hallway, so we're gonna ask only one parent take their child back and, and you know, limit the amount of, of interactions that we have um, and then one, one parent to pick them up. Yeah, no, that's very helpful and I hope 
that addresses perhaps some of the questions that families had at home. Um, one of the things on a more positive note, um, I've noticed that coronavirus has provided some opportunities to engage people that you elsewise wouldn't engage. Yeah. And I hear those testimonies from everybody, from neighbors, from Christians, non-Christians. Finally talking to my neighbor, been next door to him for 15 years and finally know his name. His name's Fred. You know, um, and that's good. And so those are opportunities to get to know your neighbor. So maybe Pastor Jason, you can share with us some positive outcomes that you've seen in this environment as it relates to the gospel, as it relates to community. Um, help us better see some of the light that God has shown into the situation. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes 7 speaks of the house of mourning being valuable because it helps us to realize we die. Um, and coronavirus, just because of the focus on it, has brought death into focus. And, and just like a funeral would be an opportunity to share the gospel, this is, this is an opportunity as we talk about it um, because death's part of the conversation to point people to Christ you know, to trust Christ rather than fear death. Doesn't mean we don't take reasonable efforts to keep ourselves healthy and help others stay healthy, but it means we don't fear it. We, we, if we're in Christ, to die is gain, it says in Philippians. Um, and so it creates that, that gospel opportunity. Our earlier discussion with suicide, um, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 10, 13, where Paul talks about there's no temptation that has an over, you know, that's not common to man, but God always makes a way of escape. Well, that way of escape refers to how to remain faithful to the Lord through whatever temptation and not give in to the temptation. Well, suicide is murder of self. It's a sin. It's, it's a temptation to sin. If you, if you get into despair, and people really get into despair, you know, that... The scriptures never deny the reality of very difficult circumstances and times, and, um, but that God will make a way, and part of his making a way is us as believers pointing people to Christ. Christ is the answer. Christ is the one in whom you can find satisfaction, strength, comfort, and so on. So those are a couple, couple yeah, things. It's funny you say that because I had that exact conversation with someone today, and it's unique because people are thinking about death. Um, unlike any other time in recent memory. And that gives us an opportunity to talk about why you shouldn't be afraid to die if you have faith in Christ. I was talking to someone out at the blood drive today, and I asked this young lady, do you ever think about dying in light of coronavirus? Is that more in your thought process? She's like, yeah, but I try not to think about it. Well, why do you not want to think about it? Because I don't know where it's going to happen. Well, can I give you assurance on how you can know where you're going? And so if you talk about death, it leads to a great bridge to the gospel. And I think there's plenty of opportunities to share Christ in this environment. And God's given us those opportunities. So I think it's very important as a church that we see us on those opportunities. Um, Pastor Brian, can you give us some more insight of perhaps how God is working all things to good to those who love him in the midst of coronavirus? Yes, you know, I, I see the wise design of God in this church. You know, uh, most of you have been here when we transitioned to elders, and we've been adding elders. We have a, a, our biblical leadership is a body of elders. And it's, it's been amazing to see during this crisis how we're having to apply the scriptures in ways that we've never had to really think about. You know, there's certain principles like, you know, I've not in my lifetime really had much of a issue, even though I've taught many times through Romans chapter 13, I've never really had a situation where I had to actually think through that and apply it. How, how exactly does it apply to us in this situation? Pretty much the only thing I ever saw that I needed to do was to pay my taxes. But um, here we've had to say, okay, are there laws that we need to submit to? And are there... But short of laws, are, is there something to honor those in authority over us with? And that's really why we initially decided not to meet. Um, the, seeing that the Bible talks about quarantine and, and then also seeing that uh, we have uh, the mandate 
to help the least of these and the, the orphans, the widows, uh, you know, different vulnerable people. And how do we do that? There's also the challenge we're called as pastors to shepherd the flock among us. You know, how do you continue to be among the flock um, while we're separate? And so we had to think of creative ways mm -hmm. to, to make sure that we're still doing that, that we're, we're going to give account. But part of that is what drives us to say, you know, we've got to apply the scriptures also that say we've got to get back together. We want to do it in phases. We want to do it as cautiously as we, we need to, but we need to do it. I want to touch one more subject before we go, specifically since you're here, Paul. But so far we talked about quarantine, facts over fear, um, Romans 8.28, in light of all this environment. But one of the things that I've heard from families, Paul, is I'm not going outside with my kids until we get the vaccine. Um, and then you see that there is a collective push to get this vaccine um, pushed through. And being someone who's been in the medical field as a PA for 10 years, what are some of the things that we should think through as perhaps some young families or some people are rushing to get this vaccine? Um, what are some things that they should think through before they make that decision? Well, I think the, the first thing they need to think about is, I mean, when are we gonna have the vaccine and will the vaccine work? So when are we gonna have the vaccine? I know Trump has said by the end of the year, um, but you know, until it happens, you know, uh, you know, that could just be political speak. I don't know, because there's a very important month for Trump in November, so he really wants to get that done before. So, um, will it be there before the end of the year? I don't know. The other thing that we have to think about is, um, will the vaccine work? And that's going to fall on two factors. So, for vaccine to work, uh, we want herd immunity. So, herd immunity happens at about 70 percent. Of the, of the population having um, that type of immunity either through previously having the disease and building antibodies or getting it from a vaccine. Um, the vaccine, is it going to be something like measles, which is 97% effective, or is it gonna be like the flu, which is known to be 20 to 30% effective? How many of you have gotten the flu after you got the vaccine? I see it all the time in the hospital every year, okay? So while the vaccine for the flu does help, it's not, it's not a fail-safe, it's not a, a total. So we don't know and and anyone who tells you different right now i just was looking this afternoon we don't know they just had a person testify before congress and and she was talking about the vaccine to congress and she said we still don't know if the vaccine will work yet we're we're working as hard as we can and 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 that's been something that's been fascinating for me is taking the disease that we just kind of found out in January in the medical community, trying to spin and, and as fast as we can try and mitigate this thing. And, we, and we've done a lot of brilliant things and we've done some not so brilliant things along the way. But we're trying as hard as we can, but we're fallible people. So will it work? We don't know. And so you can't depend on a vaccine right now, right now. And then the second thing is even if the vaccine works, how many people are going to get it? Because if you said, hey, we rushed this vaccine, you know, it was supposed to take a year and a half, but now it's going to take less than a year. Who's the first to go? Uh, you know, and, and how many people have you seen? I, I, I've seen recent polls where as many as 60 to 70 percent of the people said, I will refuse a vaccine. And so will we get to the herd immunity level? I don't know. So will a vaccine be the end all be all of this right now? I'm going to say no. Um, because I don't know that we Do actually Do you know how long it typically takes for a vaccine to be developed? Man, I mean, uh, depending, it, it all depends upon uh, the type of virus. We were able to get, um, when we had swine flu, we got a vaccine very quick because it was a flu virus. And so we were able to take the different parts of the flus that we had before and kind of build into what the flu virus is. With coronavirus, we're starting from scratch. So that one takes a lot longer. So it's a hard question to answer because it's very dependent upon the virus. And, and, you know, you, you, you got to think of it as like a key in a lock. And so when we have a lock that, lo that looks like a lot of different keys that we have, it's kind of easy to make a little notch here, make a little notch here, and boom, opens the lock. When we've never seen this lock before and we don't have the right keys, we're like, okay, we got to start from scratch. So it's going to take a little bit longer. I mean, in the beginning, it took, it took decades. Now it takes years, but it's still, it, it can take a little bit of time. Cool. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you everyone for being here. Thank you for everyone for watching at home. Hopefully we've been able to 
walk through coronavirus from a biblical worldview. All of us will be here for a few minutes after the service. So if you had any follow-up questions, wanted to talk some more, we're more than happy to talk with you. But let's pray and let's be dismissed. And thanks again for coming. Uh, Lord, thank you um, for salvation. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son so that our sins can be atoned for, for sending your Son so that our sins can be atoned for. And Lord, I thank you for these men um, before me today, Lord, that you've given them wisdom, understanding of the Scriptures. Thank you for this time together, Lord, where we can look at issues from a biblical worldview. Help us, Lord, to be loving and help us to be leaders in our community. Help us to take opportunities to share the gospel, Lord, when you provide those opportunities. Help us, Lord, to not live in fear, but live in your grace and your mercy. And Lord, no matter what situation that we find ourselves in, help us to be a joyful people, knowing, Lord, that you sent your Son to die on a cross for us, Lord. Thank you for everything, and thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.